0: we can we can probably just I'll just go live on YouTube now just because we got some folks that are waiting mm-hmm. um very very good and it is it is actually nine o'clock right now so I think we we are right on time yeah. Um, yeah, welcome every, welcome everybody this is meetup number 55 of the Day on kubernetes community very excited to announce that um and today's guest is is no stranger to this kubernetes world we we're just kind of getting uh established on on different things about ourselves I'll definitely be asking you Raji to, to explain a little bit about how we can maybe relate the challenge of running long distance or the discipline that's necessary to do that the mindset that's necessary to do that and how we can relate that to working with uh with kubernetes as usual uh for folks that are new you can check out the links we've got twitter linkedin get in our slack we have conversations that are ongoing we had a thousand uh slack members a week and a half ago a very exciting piece of news always coming at you with more meetups and more content um that being said i just want to welcome our speaker today Raji. very very nice to have you with us you work at Zoho corp Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, your experience, and about Zoho Court for maybe some of the folks out there that aren't so familiar with it? Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, good morning and uh, good evening. I think people have joined from uh, <laughs> different parts of the world. I'm from. I've joined from India. It's almost night uh, nine thirty. I just wish my children good night and I've come here for the join uh, the talk. Okay. So it's great to uh, join this webinar and uh, on an online platform. Um, I would have been happy to do it in person, but given the current situation we are all in, we should only be uh, happy and feel blessed that we are able to do this when a lot of people are going through a lot of suffering. So Absolutely. only prayers pray so that the whole world is able to return back to where it was. So that's the only thing that we could wish for. Okay, that note, uh, I'm i I'm, I'm Lakshmi, you can call me just Raji and I work at Zoho, for those of you who don't know Zoho, Zoho is a cloud-based software company that is that we have, we have products and apps that are required for end-to-end operation of any business. So we call ourselves the operating system for a business, be it your front-end customer relationship softwares, CRM applications or for marketing softwares or for your people management or for your day-to-day collaborations, email um um presentation skills and for your entire finance width. so whatever is required for any business end-to-end we have apps and we do have monitoring the it monitoring section division site 24 7 is the it monitoring division at zoho corp and currently i'm one of the um director here at site 24 7. so my association with zoho has been for the past 22 years this is my 22nd here oh congratulations
0: year <laughs> congratulations that's a small achievement wow that's really good
1: Yeah, so I started my job at Zoho and I've been continuing it at Zoho. So I I joined the organization when it was a startup way back in 99, soon after my graduation. And okay. then from then on, it is a long journey and it is a continuous journey. And I just enjoy this journey.
0: That's all I should say. That's great. And with that in mind as well, too, could you maybe comment a little bit, you know, 22 years in a company that that's no small achievement. That might be a record, I think, for in terms of speakers we've had with us. But with that in mind, you know, how did the adoption process of Kubernetes work? When did the question first come up? You know, we need to look into this technology. We need to see what it's about. When did that start? How did that happen?
1: Okay, Zoho, if you have seen, I mean, that's one of the reasons that had made me to be the company for so long, people often ask, how is that uh, you're able to be in an organization for 22 years, you haven't changed organizations, it has to match with your philosophies as well. So Zoho as a company, we have always focused on uh, uh, the latest technologies, and we spend a lot of time in R&D, and try to adopt all the technologies that are available and uh, put it into production, put it into works, in our products so that we can pass on that benefit to our customers. So that has been one of the, Zoho is a privately held company. So we don't have a pressure on us. So we have our own ways of working. We can experiment a lot of things. So we do do spend a lot of time in uh, adopting the technologies. So way back in 99, when I joined, the company was working on um, Java in 99 so so those are the things every day is a learning it's a product based company so yeah. for with respect to kubernetes i think uh, kubernetes have been there for almost uh, eight nine years now so yeah. uh, so 2013 to time frame is when it, yeah. 13 14 time frame is when it all started so we do have we do um, look at all those uh where we can use it in our production possibly we may not use it full-fledged but we will we will uh, see how, which portion where we can use it and we will see um, what is required when you talk about a Kubernetes environment you need a because we are a monitoring tool. so you need monitoring of that in a, a structure you know the infrastructure that is required. So we have included that monitoring in our monitoring requirements. Those are some things which we have as part of our uh, adoption.
0: Very, very good. No, it's nice to see because, you know, one thing is, is just talking to, you know, companies that are maybe two, three years old and, you know, we say are Kubernetes native, working from day one, but it's interesting to see in your case, in the example of a company that through its history has been, as you said, R&D experimenting with different things and then seeing, okay, what is the practical value that Kubernetes can, can give us? Maybe in some situations more than others, um, but then none, nonetheless, very, very interesting to see the, the sort of timeline of of how this has been introduced challenges that it brings, as you mentioned as well, cultural things, mindset, um, and how it's going to integrate, um, as in the case you said, really specifically related to monitoring. Um, that being said, we can jump right into your presentation. As a reminder to all folks in the audience, feel free to ask questions at any point in time. Um, we already had some questions from, from folks talking um, in Slack, so I've got I'm, I've got those. I may drop uh, one occasionally here and there. Um, but feel free to share your screen, Raju. We can jump right into your presentation. Sure. So
1: i'll uh, i'll start presenting i will have my presentation for some 35 40 minutes maybe and then uh, because it's one hour session then good. i will take some questions offline also i'm available to answer any questions fantastic good yep okay perfect, perfect. so the um, the main challenge for me here for this presentation, I should say is, I don't know who or who the audience are. I'm just sitting in the four walls of the room and I'm talking to myself, looking at the screen, talking to myself. So that is actually a challenge, great challenge for online meetings and online presentations. Anyway, but I'm sure but there are people on the other side who could uh, who are listening to this so um, as we said feel free to post your questions so this topic is this what i uh, what i'll be discussing for the next uh, 40 minutes is more about the um, uh, um the, some jump some general context setting that i would do to why it is relevant from where it started the kubernetes or the entire transformation id transformation journey itself and then uh, i'll uh Um, Okay, these will be the topics that we'll be covering. So the evolution of the application architecture itself, the application building, how it has changed from what it was earlier to what it is today. And then about the IT transformation, traditional way to the function as a service, quick five minutes on each of these topics. And I will expand on some places wherever required, some stats and trends, because we need to know them to be in line with what's happening in the industry as well. And about uh, Kubernetes benefits, what are the benefits of using Kubernetes and what are the challenges that we are facing because we are using Kubernetes. And then some strategies to how you can manage the uh, Kubernetes infrastructure itself what tools can be used? I will not get into any specific details of anything that we are doing because that will be very vendor specific. I just have it vendor neutral, talk about the general steps, and then we'll, I'll introduce what can be done. Okay. So, with that, um, let me go quickly get started with uh, the evolution of application architecture itself. Yeah, I told uh, the 22 years I've been in the journey. When I started programming itself, I can say the architecture was entirely different. Most of the discussions that I'll be having are all based on my experiences on working with a product company and a technology company. And I've been hands-on with product development and I've done various roles too. So based on those experiences, also, I'll be giving some examples wherever applicable. So if you take a typical client server architecture, this is, uh, this is how it used to be possibly some 20 years ago. There is a server component and there is a client component you just, uh, all of all of this, both your server and your client resides within the four walls of your own office premise, and you just connect with your uh, uh, server and uh, collect the data. Any application building has to do with the client server architecture. And then with web 2.0 technologies, with um, web 2.0 is not something new. Web 2.0, it uh, came back way back in uh, uh, 2005, some 16, 17 years ago. With that, with the pick up, picking up of cloud, we were able to have the server component still in one corner of your uh, office and then connect using the internet. You can you, The client can be anywhere. So, and then you can make connections. So that was the transformation with web 2.0. And with web 2.0 and with cloud started picking up, we started having a lot of public cloud providers who could, who could offer services, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, all those things were picking up and a lot of public cloud providers Um, started emerging so all along previous all along that time frame if you have to build an application first you have to worry about oh okay i have to um, procure my infrastructure components and then only go about building your application but with um, cloud with web 2.0 with cloud you have to only focus on your application leave the rest of things to the providers that are available make use of the providers Give your focus only for the applications that you want to build. That is the transformation that started picking up. But not everything moved to the cloud. There are still systems, there are still legacy systems, which are are on-premise, which people don't want to take it to the cloud. There are still businesses like that. So more of hybrid structure. I will have some of my um, business on-premise and some of them on the cloud. So the hybrid cloud servers and hybrid architecture is what is picking up or what picked up and what is in present in uh, present scenario too. And this is very relevant when we talk about hi- Kubernetes too. I will talk about it in the further slides. So if we have to put it in a different um, way of, of representing the same thing. What was a monolith architecture where everything that you require from your business logic to the data accessing, to your caching layer, to the user interface. Everything has one, even though they are components, they are all there in one mega structure. So that's what was a monolith architecture. So the transformation has been from monolith architecture to microservice architecture, where each of this component, your business logic or your database component, your caching servers, your queue components, all of them can run on its own. These were all the containers. So on these these containers, they can, you can, develop build deploy and then um, um, uh, test retest all this this entire cycle of uh, the uh, container is independent of another container so it looks very simple it might look like oh, okay uh, it's easy for me to do my focus is only on one container but the complexity lies in the monitoring part. I'll come to that later. So this is how the entire architecture has changed. What was a monolith architecture is now transforming to microservice architectures. Businesses are, you know, applications are moving towards this. When we talk about microservice architecture, there are a lot of containerizations on which people are people can deploy. And the most prominent one is obviously Kubernetes. So I, I don't think I have to explain the architecture or give details of this because this is a Kubernetes community and this is a 55th meetup. Everybody would be thorough with all these components. Okay. So uh, typically, these um, um, the, the microservice architecture. Even though there are other components, Kubernetes has, this is this a popular one, and uh, people have started because there are a lot of reasons why people are using this. We will also discuss this, that later. So the where it contains the master. Uh, Uh, server and then the nodes and pods and uh, the different components that it has. But if you see the the technology or the trend is actually moving from this Kubernetes or the microservice architecture to serverless. So serverless is something that is picking up in the recent uh, years. And um, we can have a separate talk on serverless too. some other point in time. So I'm just having this as the transformation from where it is, from traditional IT to, sorry, from monolith to microservice to serverless where you don't even have to worry about a server component. All that you have to worry is only the um, whatever logic you want to write. And that can be written as a function and uh, make use of function as a service. And there's no server that you have to worry about and take care of your business. So and there are... Positives, negatives, benefits, advantages, disadvantages of all this, let's not get into details, but this is something that is picking up as we have to keep in mind. Possibly we may have to use it in our later stages too. Now, if I have to talk about the application building itself in the uh, in a cloud architecture, there are various layers and I attribute, I'll be talking about the four important layers or I have categorized them as four layers. The cloud architecture layer comprises of, the top layer is your end user layer, which consists of your browser or mobile or applications, tablets, using which you connect to your application. The next layer is the application layer. That's a software as a service that, that actually contains the business logic. This is where your business logic is hoisted and you have to only focus on that. Rest of it can be, you can just make use of the services that are available. Then your platform layer, platform as a service caching servers, NoSQL, database, queues, microservice containers, all this to some extent forms the platform layer. And the bottommost is your infrastructure layer, which, which comprises your physical server, virtual server, cloud server, switch router, switch firewall, all of them form the infrastructure layer. So why I'm bringing this here is, even though we are more focused about Kubernetes, at the end of the day, on, on top of that um, architecture, what are we writing as applications? So for any business, the application building is important and you and as a, a it administrator or as a devops person a person has to have a end to end visibility of what is happening across all the layers if you are having it on the cloud particularly if you are having a cloud architecture it's important to know what's happening at all these layers because the problem could be anywhere when something goes down It could be because of a problem in uh, in an ISP layer, which is at the end user layer, to a port in a particular switch is not working. So the problem could be anywhere. So it is important to know end to end of what's happening in all these layers. Let's quickly look at some, just spend two minutes to look at the uh, transformation from traditional IT layers to function as a service, just to have the context of from what we were managing, self-managing, to public management, to the provider as a service. This was a typical traditional on-premise structure where from your data center to network, storage, servers, the virtualization, OS, middleware, runtime, applications to functions were all self-managed. That was what was there in a, as a traditional on-premise. If you quickly see how things have changed from here, there are there, then that started this co-location spaces where uh, you have your data centers alone provided by as a service there will be other people who have their network configured and managed in there. So that's a co-location was picking up. And then the hosting providers. There are a lot of hosting providers where up to the server layer they take care, and then you configure the virtualization and OS middleware, and then you self-manage them. Like um, um, the hosting providers are still in use. That's 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 uh, um, what is it, digital ocean are all as an example of a hosting provider, and AWS Azure also are all hosting providers. IAS. This is the infrastructure as a service. Up to the virtualization layer, it is taken care. And then all these are quickly, you know, platform as a service is up to the data layer. Function, you only take care of function. And for a software, you don't take care of anything. Software as a service, you just subscribe and you start using them. So this is how the self-managed to provided as a service transformation has happened. Our focus is now more on this Infrastructure to platform in between these two layers is where this we are focusing on and that's that's the focus of focus on kubernetes mostly on the deployment part is what we will be looking into. So let's uh, quickly look at some stats. Stats are always important for us to know what's happening in the industry. So there was this. This is not something that I'm giving on giving on myself. I ju- I read a lot of articles on what's happening in the industry, and whichever is uh, important or relevant to the talk, I give the source also, and then I present them. So there was a um, survey that was run by that was done by VMware on the stat state of Kubernetes in 2020, where uh, it was found that. of organizations use Kubernetes in production. So production environment itself has now been changing to Kubernetes. It's not that they just use it for their uh, testing. A Lot of things when new technologies come up, we just use it for our testing staging and um, we we, we take it to production only towards the later part. part. 59% of organizations use. 64% of organizations deploy or deploying Kubernetes on-premise. So this is an important feature or important uh, characteristics of Kubernetes itself. You can use Kubernetes, not just in the cloud, you can use Kubernetes for the distributed uh, deployment and management of your infrastructure, even on-premise. This has helped to bridge that gap between you're having everything on-premise and to the cloud. So people are still using Kubernetes for deployment in on-premise. And 70% cited lack of experience and expertise as a top deployment challenge. When I talked about microservice itself, I said, it might look simple when you see that architecture and having only two boxes, but the challenge is to understand what it is, how it works, and then take care of the deployment or whatever problem occurs from that. So that experience and expertise is still lacking. And that, that that's what many people felt 70% cited this as an Um, that lack of uh, experience and expertise is a challenge for them. Let's move on to some more stats from that. What are the benefits that people got or people felt they had because of using Kubernetes in their organizations? 56% of people felt that it improved resource utilization, that they were not uh, wasting any of the resources. They were able to have efficient resource utilization. 53% felt that it shortened their Development lifecycle. They were able to quickly take their work to production. So, we are talking about agile development, and this is the Kubernetes have definitely helped in that. The 50% of people felt that container, they, they were able to do this containerization of the monolith application that they had because it was easy for them to do both on premise as well as on the cloud. So, it was easy for them to convert it to a monolith. The, uh, even the legacy systems that we talk about can be easily moved to the cloud using Kubernetes. 33% felt it has reduced their that public cloud cost. When we talk about public cloud, it comes with a huge cost. Even though we say pay, pay as you go model, you use only whatever, um, whatever is required for, that is a huge cost associated with any public cloud. For everything you will be paying, you will pay for data transfer, you will pay for data storage, if you look at the bill you will know how how much you are paying for the cost usage and this has helped reduce them 42 percent enabled have enabled them um or moved to the cloud so people felt the benefits was they were easily able to move their infrastructure to the cloud so these were again some stats from the uh, from whatever i was reading through and uh, this these all these only shows the importance or relevance or uh, where people are at different stages of moving to the Kubernetes deployment. Some of the benefits, why people are moving or why people are uh, taking uh, um, their uh, deployment or taking their infrastructure to the Kubernetes uh, architecture is it's not in any order. I'm just giving some uh, examples. It's very portable and flexible by means of the the main advantages you can have it even on premise as well as in cloud and you can have it in any cloud too it's it's no, no longer you can say this doesn't work in my uh, uh, my system i mean it doesn't work in your production system because the structure is different my laptop structure is different yours is different it's, you can no longer give that uh, as an excuse so it's easily portable and flexible and multi cloud you are not stuck with any one cloud provider you can easily easily choose whichever cloud provider you want and you can have multi-cloud deployment because people don't want to just stick on with one providers. They want to use across the public cloud providers available. Kubernetes helps in that. Scaling, scaling is one of the important reasons why we want to move to the cloud or uh, uh, to any of the uh, the public uh, cloud offerings that we have because uh, we don't know the load that we are going to get for our application. See, even though we talk about Kubernetes, the, ideally the application is deployed on top of it. So they are, your business is entirely dependent on the applications that are deployed. And if you're going to get a huge load, you need to scale. You need to scale up as well as scale down depending on the usage so that you are optimized. You are using the resources in an optimized manner. Kubernetes this one helps in that. It's reliable because it has been in the industry for so long and um, there is there are no failures. You get a lot of um, um, support for it because it all it's also open source. It's open source standards. It's easy f- to get help from community. So th- that is also another benefit of using Kubernetes. And Knative Kubernetes are market leaders and you, it is deployed in um, on-premise or um, Azure Kubernetes is there, AWS Kubernetes or uh, GCP Kubernetes, whoever be the provider, the infrastructure provider, this platform component can be deployed. And uh, all of the containers that we have, uh, Kubernetes is the market leader. So these are some of the benefits of moving towards Kubernetes. Now, now now, that we have looked at the benefits, what are the challenges? Definitely anything and everything that we do, do have challenges. So not in any order, uh, not just Kubernetes, every day, um, the IT administrators or the DevOps person, day-to-day challenges are always there in our day-to-day work. With respect to Kubernetes monitoring or Kubernetes structure itself, the challenges are lack of expertise. That was, again, we saw that in the um, survey too. So because the architecture is complex, it might look simple, but the components in it and how to exactly use that, that lack of expertise is a challenge that many people feel because people don't have the experience of using the lot the people's experience on using the kubernetes architecture itself is lesser we have few people on that that's how the communities like this are really helpful and that is the challenge when we have to talk about kubernetes challenge complexities in deployment it might look simple the architecture that i showed in the very beginning of each of this is a container but when you talk about the deployment you have to f- you have to see what is a the cluster then you have to know about inside the cluster where do i have my all my um, nodes where, uh, how to what are the configurations that i have to have for my pods what are the configurations that i have to have for my replica set so all of these configurations in each of the components that are there in um, kubernetes is a challenge the deployment challenge unless you have the expertise it's going to be tough and then the important thing is monitoring the KPIs, the key performance indicators. How is this performing? Uh, What is the health of all the components that are available in my Kubernetes? Uh, What is the response time of the um, response time or the utilization, resource utilization of the resources that that are available? When I take a node, what is the CPU utilization? What is the disk utilization? What is the memory utilization in a pod? how many times it has been started restarted so those are the based on each of the component the metric will vary and monitoring that is very crucial. So that is again a challenge a lot of times we don't monitor we leave it and end up with having some issues later. security is another challenge when we move it to the cloud and that too you're having multi-cloud deployment you may want to apply certain set of uh, rules, the security rules and it may it is not easy for you to apply the same set of rules across the different uh, cloud servers that you're having. So security is again a challenge because each of it has, the, has its own security configurations. If you want to set a common set of rules across the deployments, it's going to be challenging. And sometimes or many a times we end up giving uh, unwanted permissions or uh, over, over permissions to people that where it is not required, most of the times, if something doesn't work, we just give them all the administrative permission. Take, I'll give you full access. Go do whatever you want. It might end up in lot of issues later on. So you may have to, you may want to control the access, the user access or whatever access you are giving at two particular uh, levels, and that will vary from one cloud provider to cloud provider. So maintaining the, that is a challenge. And also the user's data, sharding of user's data, one user data should not be visible to the other user. When we talk about cloud, security is a major challenge because that is a trust factor. If security is compromised, people are not going to come back to you or how much ever you're going to give better, better performance. So taking care of security in the Kubernetes architecture is a challenge. Loss of control. Sometimes people feel this because we say each container, you can spawn the container, you can um, deploy a build in it, you can run the container on its own. So test it as a whole. Somehow you don't have a control of, you are in control of all of the, the entire system. So that is something that people have felt and they have expressed this as a challenge as well. Scaling cost. Not every... Um, we we definitely saw see uh, we uh, we definitely saw this as an advantage too, but if you if you see every business or uh, every um, every person every person's requirement every business requirement varies, so what is applicable for one need not be applicable for the other. What I'm trying to say here is possibly w- what you're trying to address can be achieved using a just a simple method call. For that, you do not have a distributed architecture and a distributed uh, uh, um, auto-scaled, assuming that there is going to be um, 10x, I need to have every configuration set up and end up paying more for it. So think where it is required. So optimization is very important. You have to know what is required for your business. Do I have to have this setup? does this setup important for my business possibly your business for your business you just make use of some third parties and um, if i have to give an example um, when you want to do a payment payment uh, integration in your um, application there are a lot of third-party payment applications available you just make use of them don't end up building one yourself because everybody else is doing similarly if you want to do some authentications there are other authentication services available you can make use of so Um, just because it's an industry standard people are all moving towards that doesn't mean that every business have to be there so think where you what is the cost involved in using an infrastructure itself and then move to that is what is the challenge the cost so those are all some of the challenges that we saw we saw the benefits we saw the challenges moving on to how you can address the challenges when you have um um, uh, when the, um, when you have so many different uh, challenges in any architecture, one of the important ways in which you can address them is through monitoring. So I, I, I will say, what are the things that you need to monitor when we talk about monitoring needs? So the challenges, the various challenges that we talked, one of the important challenges also the performance monitoring challenge that we talked with respect to Kubernetes, we know these are all the different components. And for each of these components, the monitoring requirement will vary. So the metrics that we are going to collect will vary. You may have to know the health of all these components. You may have to know the if you have deployed the, an application, you may have to know the response time of the application. You may have to look at the logs to find out how these uh, um, the, how these different components are performing. So these are these are the different uh, components in any Kubernetes um, uh, architecture, and to manage or monitor them, what are the things that you have to take care of? When we talk about monitoring, the important thing to note is. The, uh, what we are hearing in these recent trends as observability. Observability and monitoring go hand in hand. And when, when we talk about observability, there are you can categorize them as important three pillars of observability with respect to um, any monitoring needs. And the first pillar is, or the first thing that you have to monitor is metrics. So when we talk about metrics, I will be categorizing the what are the different metrics that you monitor into two important things one is availability metrics is all my components the different components that we saw the cluster the nodes the pods all of them up and running so that's the first thing that you have to do as an if you are an uh, administrator or if you are uh, if you are a cluster admin or an it administrator who takes care of the kubernetes uh, uh, environment your primary focus is to take care of availability and when we talk about availability it industry standards is almost nines 99.999 percent available that's what uptime that's what people expect it's almost 100 percent but it is it is okay you can have some um, downtime here and there so that is the industry standards so you have to make sure you have all of your components up and running that's the availability metrics but is that sufficient i have all my components up and running is that sufficient no there is one more thing that you have to monitor, that is your performance. Performance is an important thing, the response time that we call, right? There is no point in having all your components, be it your uh, the cluster or your uh, pod or your road or your replica set, whatever be the component, there's no point in having them up and running if they are going to be performing very, very slow. You need to look at what is the performance, why it is taking more time. If, if suppose if you have a node, If your node is taking more time to uh, respond, possibly because the disk is getting full, possibly because the CPU has reached a top limit and there are some processes that are running in it, which you need to take care of. So those are some things important. Performance metrics are important that will have an impact on your application's performance itself. Because when we talk about application, when we talk about cloud, it is more like people are, it's it's a web application. So people will connect using web to your application. So the response time is dependent on your Kubernetes infrastructures time to response time too. So performance is important. So when these performance for all these components. So that's crucial things when we talk about metrics. The second one is about the traces because we are having applications that are being running on these uh, um, clusters trace to the point of which is taking more time. When we talk about, about the microservice architecture Distributed tracing because each of this co- container can run it run an application or ca- can run a service that is running in, in its own application language itself. When you are talking about an entire application, each of the container ha- can ha- can run its own application language. One of it can run it in Java, the other one can run it in dotnet, the other one can run it in uh, Node.js. You may have to trace across all these platforms. Tracing across the application platforms is important. And in a microservice architecture, in a distributed environment where the different uh, containers are on different uh, languages, even if one of them goes down, you need to know what is the line that is causing issue. You need to know the complete file path of where the problem is. Is it with a call to a database? There could be a problem with a call to a, that you are making to a database. Or there could be a problem with cache being getting filled up so you need to know exactly where the problem is and that is important for tracing the third pillar is logs now that we have this the different components all of them create logs and these logs are all now distributed across the globe we have it we have them deployment as distributed architecture you have it everywhere it is distributed how do you make sure that you go and look at the logs in each of these places it is very difficult for an it administrator to take control of all these systems take a remote control log into the system go look at what has happened so log management from a single console is important consolidating all these logs across the various layers from all these components into one place you do apply apply do some analytics and store it in such a way that you can easily query it so converting the unstructured data into a structured data is what is log management and that is a key pillar for observability So the three pillars, the metrics, traces, and logs are important if you have to monitor your infrastructure, the Kubernetes infrastructure. Let me just quickly give you some sample screens of uh, uh, when you do a monitoring, what are the things that are required. So this is a health dashboard that you might want to look at. What are all the nodes? what are all the pods that are currently active and running what are the services that are running what are the top cpu intensive pods or the memory intensive pods problematic nodes the top memory intensive nodes how much bytes is received and how much bytes is um, sent out so all these are required to know the health of health of your system health of your kubernetes system the health dashboard will help any tool it can be but you need to know all these health metrics the number of nodes, number of pods, the details like this. The other one is the inventory dashboard. So once you you give your credentials or you deploy an agent in your uh, master node, you must be able to collect all the inventory details or the tool must be able to collect all the inventory details and give the metrics, how many nodes, how many pods, the daemon sets, the deployments, the replica sets, you have to collect all of them and start collecting metrics from all of them. It's it must be easy, one go setup. You just set up an agent, give your configuration file, deploy it in your master node that should take care of collecting all the metrics and giving you all the details that are required. Then uh, the view, because this is a we say it's a it's a great deployment with so many different components in it. So you must be able to have an infrastructure view. As an IT administrator, this must be there in your big screen to look at if there is any problem in any of the nodes. It should start with a cluster, and then a node, and a pod, and the container groups that are available to give a bird's eye view of what is happening in your entire Kubernetes cluster. So that's important. The business views, or the infrastructure view, or the service view—all of all of these different views are crucial. And when we t- those are the with respect to the metrics that are collected. And when we talk about traces. And when we talk about the distributed trace from one application, where it is being transferred, uh, what are all the different applications that the transaction flows through? And in each of those transactions, where it is exactly taking more time. You need to know the split up for you to improve on this so that you can reduce the response time and you can be ahead, uh, you can reduce your total overall response time so that it is faster for your end users. So for which the dis- Distributed tracing will definitely help, and then about the log. So collect all the logs from the uh, Kubernetes itself is multiple clusters across across distributed environment. Collect all the container logs, and you just have to give easy query language. Just type in as log type is container logs. You will get all those logs in one place from when it was collected. What is the log contain? You can search and find out exactly, or you can find out what the log is and uh, what what is the problem if you want to look into any particular log. So look for all these three components when you are selecting any monitoring tool, the met- metrics, traces, and logs. And those are all the monitoring components. Now, what if you want to take some action on top of it? This is, this is again something crucial for an administrator if you want to manage your container environment. You have node, you have pods, Suppose your pod is continuously failing and you're unable to restart. What is that is typically you will do? You will be able to, you will generally do a manual reboot, which is, which is going to be time consuming or you have to take control and do a manual reboot. Instead, the tool that you're using should have capabilities to do some automation. Write a script so that you can just uh, configure it in such a way that when you see that the pod is continuously failing, take action, act on it, and automatically reboot is, a, is an action that you can configure that will save your time. So this is, this it's not just monitoring alone. You must be able to manage it. Management is also important. By management, you must be able to take actions. The actions could be anything that you want to do. If the tool supports those actions, it's going to make your life easier. So you know, you can set different thresholds and you can set different rules. If this happens, take this action. If this, if it is, a, um, if a CPU is crossing, exceeding a, a time limit or exceeding a value, whatever action you want to take. So you must be able to write all those scripts. You can write the script in any language of your choice. Some plain shell script, or it could be a Python script, could be anything. And then, Integrate these two so that it is easy for you in your management. So those are all the management actions that the tool should support. Suppose uh, if you have a node where the CPU usage is exceeding 90%, poss- uh, possibly it is consuming some resources. You may have to manually go execute commands to free up resources, this one way of doing, which an IT administrator generally does. Instead, you write that as a script and match it, uh, map it to the configuration if the threshold breaches 90%, take this action. So that you can automatically clean up and save time and you can quickly resolve issues. So mean time to repair has to be reduced. So that is an important part of management and optimizing that is crucial so that you reduce the time that it takes for you to act on it so that the system is always up and running and the performance is taken care. So these, I've just given two sample uh, examples of taking action based on whatever you want to do in your infrastructure you must be the tool that you select must have the capability of doing all those actions that will make your life easier so at the end of the day all that we need from a, any monitoring tool is how it can help you to be uh, to, to um what is it to automate most of your work and make sure that you are able to see it in a smooth manner so those are some things which you have to look for in a tool and the other important thing could be the Um, AI capabilities. In some cases, possibly you need not even set the threshold. The tool should have automatic AI capability of anomaly detection without you specifying any limit. If your node's CPU used to be always, it used to be uh, around uh, um, 30 to 40%, suddenly there is a spike. You may have to set an alert, if it exceeds 70%, send an alert, but then if the tool has an um, ai capability and has an anomaly detection capability without the user interference of setting any threshold the tool must be capable of giving you the alert, required alert so those options are also available with the monitoring tools that are available at the market so all these are all these can only help all these will only help you to make it easy. So those are the optimizations or the, in the entire management of your um, container lifecycle, tools are really required in all stages. So monitoring using a right set of tools is important. Based on what your requirement is, based on what your business needs are, choose the right set of tools. Because there is always the saying, the tools that you have in your hand plays a great role in your day-to-day activities if you are having a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail. Even if it is a screwdriver, you will end up only hitting it because you only have a hammer in your hand. So it is important to choose the right set of tools depending on the requirement, your business requirements, your customer requirements, without affecting any of them, you have to evaluate and choose. And when you choose a tool, apart from all these requirements of observability that I talked about, the metrics or the traces or the log components that you have to look for. The other important thing that you have to look for is ICE. I often say this, look for ICE. I stands for integration, C for customization, E for extensions. I'll tell you what that is. Integrability. So most of the times as an IT administrator, if um, if you are selecting a tool, as a DevOps person, if you're selecting a tool, we will, all of these will have in-house tools. The newer tool that you're bringing in should have the integration capability with the tool that is already available. See if the tool has such integration capabilities, export options, import options, all of them should be there because we are not going to just settle with only one or we are not going to settle with multiple silos. We are, we already have so many silos in our day-to-day work. Just see if these can be integrated. So newer tools should have should be easily integratable with your existing tools. Look for integrability, customizability. All of us would want to do some customization. Possibly a small change in the uh, logo, change in a text, or uh, you want to call uh, you want to change the um, button size or button color. Some customization. We want to have it in a way that we want it to be in gel with the tool that we are using. Or I don't like the color, I want to change the color. Could be whatever it is, I want to change the from email ID from which the notification is being sent. Or I want to add another email ID that I can send the report to. I want to publish a report and make it on publishing report. I don't want it to be public. I want it to be password protected publishing the report. Some customizations are required depending on your business needs, see if the tool provides customizability option. If you are one of the person who are developing the tools, make sure you are giving this option for your customers too. That's also important. Another thing is the extensibility. We are all living in this era of citizen coders who don't want to just take what others give and use it. We want to build on top of it. APIs, just or drag and drop and build your own UI. Extend that, add something on top of it and release it. So that is something what is required in any tool, API support where I can take the data using the API and then show it in a way that I want or build on top of it. So extensibility is also important. So when you are choosing a tool, look for ICE, integration, integratability, customizability and extensibility. So I've almost come to the end of my presentation, just two, three minutes, I will be done. So this is something important or this is one of my favorite books that I always recommend the people to. So uh, start with the why by Simon Sinek and, um, or at least you must have heard of this golden circle as a concept. Why, how, and what? Why I'm saying this is, why is the crux? Why I'm saying this is, whatever change you want to bring in your, uh, in, in your IT environment, You want to adopt the containerization. You want to move from containerization to the serverless architecture. Could be anything that you want to adopt, start with a why. That's the main, that will define the main purpose. I call this as the, we call this as five why techniques. Why should I do this? Why? Keep asking why, why, why? You will be able to find the exact purpose if you really want to do that or not. So have this as an exercise, start with a why. And then about how to do it, if you have decided that you want to do or you want to go with the, um, you want to monitor your infrastructure, the process is how, how do you monitor using monitoring tool, it can be select, uh, evaluate the monitoring tool, see what fits your budget, see what fits, what fits your requirements and choose that, that's the process, how you do, only if you do this correctly, the why and how, you will be able to achieve the result, the what. Where you can take your business to the next level ahead of your competition. So that's crucial. So, about the various tools that are there in the market, Sci247 is one such tool. There are many tools in the market site 247 is an all-in-one AI-powered monitoring tool that can take care of your, all your monitoring needs from web, web layer to your infrastructure layer from one single console. We do have Kubernetes monitoring that comes in as part of our infrastructure and server monitoring. I've not gone into the details of that. And uh, site 247 as a product has been in the industry for the past 15 years now. We started, it's a mature product. We started way back when the cloud itself started picking up with just a web website monitoring. And then added all those that were relevant and those technologies that were coming up all of that was added as and when required that's how we have included monitoring of uh, docker containers kubernetes all those are there as part of the product site 24 7 is uh, running on top of zoho's cloud so at zoho we have our own data centers 10 different data centers at five different parts of the world. At each region, we have a primary and a secondary. We have one in US, one in Europe, one in China, one in India, one in Australia. You can be assured that your data resides within your geography region when you choose that particular data center. And being a cloud provider, we do take a privacy, security, compliance and all very seriously. We have all the certifications. We do undergo stringent audit process every year. Um, Zoho has been in business for 25 years and we are a cloud provider. Key takeaways from this session, we know that the industry has moved from monolith, the different, uh, um, the uh, the transformation it has taken to microservice um, about Kubernetes, stats, trends, benefits, challenges, and the monitoring needs. Site247 is a product that can give you all-in-one AI-powered monitoring. Just take a screen grab of this. We'll also be posting it in the the comment section. As a part of uh, giving back to the community, if you sign up using this, Um, URL, you get uh, six months uh, free subscription for the product where you can try the product yourself and see what monitoring capability it it has and use it for your um, infrastructure or your entire monitoring needs. So before I complete, this is one last quote that I have. This is a famous uh, Red Queen's quote in in the book, Alice in Wonderland. I'm not sure if you have read this book. I, I read it when I read it for my children. So the quote goes like this. So you have to be running as fast as you can in order to stay in the same place and if you want to make any progress you have to run twice as fast as you can why i'm bringing this here is this is generally applicable for individual or for businesses at zoho at site 24 7 as i said in the beginning we do make sure that we take We include all that we study, we do spend time on R&D, include all the latest technology technologies and pass on that benefit to our customers. We have to be updated so that we don't get outdated. This is relevant for each one of us. So we have to be running. So keep yourself updated so that we can all see what is coming in the industry, adopt that and pass on that benefit to our customers too. Thank you so much for your time. And you can connect with me in any of these channels. And I'm now
0: open for questions. Fantastic. Excellent presentation. Uh, but as I said at the beginning, this is meetup number 55. Uh, we haven't had many speakers that have been able to tie everything together so well, very, very well uh, organized in terms of the all the different topics that were covered. A lot of different topics were covered. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is the, the question about expertise. And it's a huge factor. And it's one of the reasons why our community exists is to be a knowledge hub where folks can come in and get their questions answered and sort of do this upskilling process. Now, one side is, you know, obviously you've seen that transition happen in Zoho with um, people, you know, becoming more Kubernetes familiar, um, being more comfortable with this, this mindset as well as the technological changes. But the other thing is, you know, the, the expertise that's necessary, you know, on, on the customer side, you know, the, the people that the folks that are paying for this because a lot of times some of these explanations, not, not your explanations but some of these technologies seem way out of reach or too complex. As someone who works directly with customers, how do you help them get on board into Kubernetes?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting and that's a challenging part too. <laughs> <Right>? so, <laughs> so I always uh, tell my team, it is not important that uh, you talk in a way that you understand. It is important that you talk in a way others understand. So uh, your success depends on how much the other person is able to understand you. So that I always tell people, be it in the documentation, because when we're all used to it so much, when we write help documentation, we assume a lot of things. We assume that people will know this. See, you have been dealing with it day every day. So you know, but that doesn't mean customer knows that. So um, um, certain things that uh, that we take care that in, in the product itself is, now, this basic assumption of don't assume that these are all terminologies that customers will know. So make it, write it in a way that they will understand. Definitely for a new a person who starts new on it, it will look Greek and Latin. They may not uh, be able to even, that's the curse of knowledge we should say. <laughs> because we know that, we cannot assume that the others will know. So when we have such a customer request, um, it is we do have a lot of training sessions. But particularly with respect to products uh, where uh, they don't understand how to use it. So every quarter we have a training session where we explain about uh, the details of the technologies that are being used in the product or how to, it's more like uh, how to use the product kind of uh, training we do. And we do have webinars where we cover uh, the topics of why it is required. Like the one that I do here, we do that with customers. And if customer can register on one on one free um, demonstration of the product i don't know mm-hmm. how to do this so tell me in a in a one on one session teach me how to do this there are options available like that they can register and every every weekly there are sessions that even if there are one or two people there will be demonstration that happens and all mm-hmm. these are free because we want to them to understand see if they don't if they don't understand it's not their fault that's there in the mindset
0: that's it that's it yeah, because that's the thing is, that, you know, you get into a situation where nobody wants to feel stupid, you know, no, and no one, you know, particularly someone who's in a, you know, a CFO position or C-suite, you know, like at that at that level, um, nobody wants to have to say like, look, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. So I think a lot of what's important there in that onboarding process is that you're going to need flexibility, some patience. And like you said, just because you understand it in a certain way, you know, you, you have, for example, you have your background of, of working in Zoho for 21 years, somebody else might not come to the table with that background. You know, they may have and
1: a bit- Im- correct. And importantly, it is more like a, it's an everyday learning. So it's more in the mindset. So it, it's, as you said, I'm 22 years in the industry or in, at Zoho doesn't mean that I know everything. The next generation that is coming up is definitely smarter than us. I have a lot to learn from the new people who are coming in. So learning without any ego, even from your subordinates, those are some characteristics. If you persist, it's easy for you to adopt and learn any technology.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great point. Now, a couple of questions that we got. Um, let's see, so in terms of, okay, because you you did touch on a little bit in terms of profiles, what are some of the common mistakes that you see that Kubernetes administrators make when managing the life cycle of a container? Okay, so um,
1: some of the common mistakes is, uh, uh, okay, It's it's not, it it will be relevant for not just the uh, lifecycle of Kubernetes and what the example that I'm giving could be relevant for any uh, management too. But uh, um, what is that they do is when you're monitoring or when you're managing, when you see a problem, most of the time in deployment, the problems, every problem is new problem. We will never get a problem that we have already faced. How much ever you prepare, you're going to face with only newer, you are going to be faced with only newer problems. You have to first accept that. So a lot of times what we do is when we have a problem, um, the administrators try to find out uh, and do some um, fix for it at a first stage. Yeah, you need to fix that. But then the mistake that is done there is you don't find out exactly what is the root cause and then try to do automation so that it is taken forward and all the other deployments too. So that is something that I often uh, see even in our own deployment, we miss that. Our own operators, they miss that because um, these, these configurations um, are um, have to be carried forward even when you apply a new build that has to be included in your build. It's something that you're changing in your deployment. Make sure that you are including as part of your process, include that in the process. Possibly you may have to do a, some quick fix and release it perfectly fine because it's, it's stopping factor, but then make sure that that is Converted or automated and included as part of the process. The process is sometimes missed out, and that is a challenge that I see.
0: Okay. Very, very good. Another question: Given your experience, you know, and seeing how things have been working, you know, in the, in the past few years with this adoption of Kubernetes, although Kubernetes is not a very old technology, you know, it celebrated its seventh birthday a few couple of weeks ago. Anyway, so we're we're still not even, you know, at the ten year mark. Um, and while in this particular space, it's something that everyone is relatively familiar with. You know, there are some companies that, you know, that that haven't even heard of it, depending on the location, depending on the maturity level of the company, et cetera. Um, do you imagine a, what, what do you see in the future for Kubernetes, particularly, you know, in our community thinking about data management, but just more generally speaking, what do you expect to happen in the next few years that there will be more, the introduction of more operators, um, you know, increased amounts of, of automation to sort of make it not so, you know, expertise heavy as we were saying, because of the, the talent gap, we might think about it that way. But what are some of the things that you expect to see in the next five to 10 years?
1: Okay. So uh, uh, we have been talking about cloud itself for the past ten years. That doesn't mean the on-premise has gone away. So the hybrid environment is what is there to uh, continue for longer term. So that being the case, Kubernetes adoption is going to be more because of that uh, beautiful feature of you can use it both on-premise and uh, um, on cloud, the portability and the flexibility are the ones that are going to make it stay on a longer term, and the community benefit that we get because of the open source. These are some of the things which makes this platform very interesting and very popular. In the next five years or next to ten years, there are going to be more adoptions. Possibly, more uh, automations could be there or um, uh, the more expertise could be built. So those are some things which will come based on our experience and learning that we have. But definitely there are going to be more adoption, even though, as I said, uh, from this Kubernetes itself, there are serverless that is picking up, serverless is an industry that is picking up, but everything cannot move serverless. As I said, the the optimization, you have to think of what is important for your business because the the changes are required, but change is not easy. You have any change that you have to do You have to make sure it is not affecting your customers. It is not affecting your business. All those have to be kept in mind before you take any change. So in that sense, Kubernetes adoption, because Kubernetes adoption can be done on all the public clouds. You are not tied with any vendor. So when we talked about the benefits, we saw that as well. It can be multi-cloud, it can be on-premise too, and it is open source and it is flexible. So, and you get a lot of community benefits So, with these benefits it is going to be um in the market in the in a, on a longer run
0: too very good no i think it's a great point and i really liked as well and something that we can't emphasize enough what are your business needs you know like that question i think needs to come first before anything because you know there's a, you know rushing into one technology or another and you know i don't think you can ever have too much business acumen or knowledge on the tech side and probably never enough you know tech knowledge on the, will, the business side
1: yeah, we will definitely experiment everything, but bringing it into production, putting it into your business has to be thought through because it shouldn't yep. affect your business. You have a business, you have a customer. All done, our bread and butter is dependent on our customers and our business. It Absolutely. should not be affected and see what benefits you can give on top of that. So that only the technology itself will be adopted.
0: This is a great point. And also, once again, going back to the initial conversation respect uh, with regards to... The issue of expertise, how long is it going to take not only my team, but my customer to get up to speed so that we can really, you know, have a level playing field. You know, we're talking about metrics. Metrics are super important. But if someone doesn't understand the value and why those are being there and why they're there and how to read them, what are the insights that can be extracted? It's obviously just going to cause more confusion, which will then translate into more cost. Um, We're about we're just about out of time. Uh, Roger, this is amazing. Um, Definitely got to have you back on another meetup. Before we go, we always have a little bit of a tradition in our community, so I got to share something really quickly. While we've been been talking, um, we have an amazing, amazing guest that's always with us who's helping uh, translate all the concepts that we're talking about into a a sort of a different form. Let me get, uh, sorry, I got to have too many windows open at the same time. Um, Where are you? Uh, One second. All right um there we go let's see okay so i'm going to share my screen now um so as we've been talking our dear friend can you see my screen now yes very, very good. So our friend Angela, who's been in the audience, uh, is an amazing artist and has been creating a graphic recording, a depiction of all the different things that you talked about. You touched on a lot of things, right? There was a there were a lot of things that were covered in there, but in a very logical and coherent manner that was very easy to understand. So I thank you for that. Um, no major, you know, assumptions given to the audience as just you were saying as well too, for a customer. So I really, really liked uh, the way that you laid out all your different ideas, and I think Angela did uh, did a pretty good job of that. We'll be sharing this on Twitter. We'll pass it on to you as well. Um, okay. You already shared your socials. We'll get those in uh, in our Slack as well. We still have a few other questions that'll be that'll be putting out to you. Um, okay. I understand that right now it's a little bit late uh, in India, so go to bed and when you're fresh tomorrow. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Um, thank what, you,
1: thank you so much. This is something that's awesome. I like this, so it's good, yeah.
0: good. Good, good, um, good. We didn't have enough time to talk about running, so we'll have to save that for a future meetup. Um, okay. But everyone, take care of yourselves. Self care is a good thing. Exercise. Be nice to yourselves. Be patient. We're all going to get through this situation together. Um, Raji, like I said, it was wonderful to have you with us, and I hope to have you again in the future.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, All right. Take care. Bye-bye.